As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Hello everyone and welcome to The Best in the World with Richard Parr. Each week I speak to an Olympic champion, a world champion, a world record holder or a world number one to find out what they do differently from the rest of us to become the very best. So it does what it says on the tin, the best in the world. And this week I am speaking to the three-time Olympic champion Tiana Bartoletta. Tiana has won a gold medal in long jump from the 2016 Rio Olympics and also has four by 100 metres gold medals from the 2012 Games in London and also in Rio in 2016. She's also a two-time world champion, 10 years apart, the first time in 2005 and then again in 2015. And she explains how her time as a bobsledder around about 2012-2013, helped her get back into long jump. She'll explain it all on this episode of The Best in the World with Richard Parr. And despite all of her amazing accolades, I think you'll be a little bit surprised about the medal she is most proud of. But as you'll hear, she is very, very open as to why it's the most important medal as she talks about the breakup of her marriage in 2017. This is a really open and honest conversation with Tiana and it is reflected in the blog that she writes. And We talk quite extensively about her blog and I've got a link to it on the show notes page. And in particular, she gives some really good actionable insight into how she travels, how she pays extra for business class tickets and why she does that, why she gets a room by herself in hotels, why she'll pay extra for food. It's really something to think about if you are an elite level athlete or actually if you're an elite level business person, if you've got a big job, a big gig, why you should perhaps pay a little bit extra so that you can perform at your very, very best. Something really to think about on this episode of The Best in the World with Richard Parr with Tiana Bartoletta. We'll get to that interview in just a moment, but before we do so, I want to tell you that you can continue the conversation with me and with others who love talking about sports and high performance on our Facebook group, Head to Best in the World. It's on Facebook. There's a link to it on the show notes page. I'm pretty sure if you just search it, you will find it under groups. All right, let's get to it. Let's learn from the very best, the Olympic long jump and 4 by 100 meters relay champion, Tiana Bartoletta. 
the best in the world podcast with Richard Parr. Gianna Bartoletta, welcome to the best in the world with Richard Parr, an Olympic long jump champion, a relay champion as well. It's so great to have you on the program. Now, I've learned a lot about you recently because you've got an absolutely fantastic blog online. And um, one of my favorite bits is actually on the front page because you use one of my favorite quotes teamwork makes the dream work. I use that all the time. Uh, So I've got a two pronged first question. It's firstly, do you have any other motivational quotes that you use and live by? And two, what do you look for when creating that team that makes the dream work? Okay, so to answer your first question, another mantra that I often fall back on is was said by Buddha actually, and it's just the the victory the most important victory is the one you have over yourself, and that is something that I draw strength from in competitions and in daily life is just. It's not me versus someone else. It's just me versus me and overcoming self-doubt and anxiety and any of those other things. That's the most important thing you can do. And that keeps me grounded going through all of these intense competitions. Um, When I'm looking to put together my own team, I basically just look for good people and people that have ambitions like I do. We don't necessarily have to want the exact same things but there's some kind of synergy between us and uh, we just want the best for each other and and it just feels right I I'm pretty good at reading people so I don't usually get it wrong with my team but I'm definitely looking for people who are grateful for what they have but are still working towards having more Mm, you said you don't often get it wrong are you someone who relies on your gut instinct a lot I'm better at it now. I I I made a huge mistake before, uh, just ignoring ignoring signs, trying to force a relationship that was never meant to work. I think we've all been there, mm. but for the most part, uh, my gut is not usually wrong. It's just a matter of whether I choose to go with that or not. Mm. No, and I love the the story in one of your blogs how you you actually met a, a reporter and then you ended up going to a show and that was, that was brilliant of using your gut oh, yeah. to, to meet new yes. people. Exactly. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week, you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies, I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is another mask. (laughs) You can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday wherever you get your podcasts and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. 
LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I think when you talked about having that battle against yourself and then you talked about that quote from Buddha, that immediately makes me think of that race you needed to do at those 2016 Rio Olympics when the baton was dropped in your qualifying race in the four by 100 meters and then you had to run as a team by yourself in in your own lane and I was watching that just before we did this interview and I was thinking that must have been so hard because you're so used to kind of beating someone but this time it was only against the clock so almost like can you tell if you're winning or not how was that Tiana? It was absolutely the most difficult thing I had I'd had to do on the track because I typically use the stagger as a visual to know, you know, how fast I'm going to push myself to give me extra motivation. So to have nothing in front of me and no one next to me, it really became a matter of just giving 100%, like really trying to go. 100% from step one. That way there was no doubt that I left anything on the track or held anything back. And so that's what I was focused on being out there by myself was really trying to find that upper limit of my speed because there's no other way to know how fast we were going. And that must also be hard because you're relying on three other people to do the same as well. It's all very well if you can do it. It's whether the other three can as well. Yes, but um, the the great thing about being the leadoff leg is that it really does set the tone for the rest of the team. Mm-hmm. It really it really does establish a, a sort of pace because the second runner can see how fast you're coming in, which forces them to get off to get out faster. The handoff happens faster, and because she's running faster, the third person now is off the line faster. So it really does matter how. Uh, the first leg comes in as far as the setup. Now, there are cases where, you know, the first leg does an okay job and and everyone else picks up the slack from there. But that's when you have, you know, other people in the race and you can kind of tell where you are, you know, Mm. that you have to give a little more. But when you're by yourself, um, that first leg is, is really, really important. 
Yeah, I've seen your first legs from the 2012 and 2016 final. They're absolutely rapid. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Unbelievable. And I want to talk about the Olympic journey in a little bit more detail in a bit. I, I want to just talk about your blog and your writing at the moment. And I know mm-hmm. it's something that you, you've always enjoyed doing. And I particularly like it because it's it's so honest and it, it's it's so real and we don't often see that too often that's kind of the point of this podcast in some ways is to try and get to the, the heart of the matter and I think mm-hmm. what's brilliant about your blogs is, is you are so real you are so honest and you also give actionable information I'm going to talk a little bit about one of the things that, that you wrote about and because that information was so good but the one thing I did pick up is uh, you said that you've got a cool head playlist so I want to know <laughs> what's on that playlist Tiana Oh, yeah, my cool head playlist. Uh, it's for, like, really long travel. I'll put on my noise-canceling Bose headphones and really just, I just get lost in this playlist. And so I I honestly have playlists for absolutely everything. I love music. And so, you know, when I'm angry, I have a, I have a playlist for that. I have a playlist for when I'm sad. But on my cool head playlist, there's things like, there's there's songs from Aerosmith, Beyonce. I mean, there's Broadway um, show tunes, Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin. Uh, so anything. There's almost anything that makes me smile or is associated with some kind of pleasant memory I have on this playlist because travel is is a stressful experience. Mm. I mean, even when it all goes smoothly, it's <laughs> definitely um cumulative micro trauma on the body and so when you start feeling uncomfortable physically that can affect your mood so this whole playlist is kind of lighthearted and just all over the map but it it keeps me calm it it helps me keep a cool head on long travel days (laughs) (laughs) i could definitely listen to that playlist what about the the tracks which get you pumped up have you got any motivational songs you listen to uh, it's actually, I don't have any motivational songs that I listen to. I just have songs that make me angry oh. or I feel like the artist was angry when they recorded it because I typically use anger as fuel for behind my performances because I have so much of it. Oh dear. <laughs> it's, it's easily accessible. To I hope me. I've got you on a good day here. <laughs> no, yeah, you did. <laughs> it's, it's easily accessible to me. So I... So I have a lot of rap and and some heavy metal, just anything that kind of gets me really fired up. Mm. It is funny, I, you know, I'm not comparing myself to you because you're an Olympic champion and I'm someone who plays football very badly. But um, <laughs> that used to be my outlet for anger as well. Whenever I'd have a lot inside, I'd want to play football or I'd just get the ball and kick the ball in the garden or something. It is amazing mm-hmm. how it can help you kind of decompress everything that's inside you um oh yeah it's a powerful tool we, we've spoken about music what else do you do to relax what else do you do to unwind i am a fierce yogi i mm. swear by yoga uh, i do that to unwind uh, i let's see what else i read a lot Ooh, um, any good recommendations for books yeah oh boy <laughs> um, right now my book club is reading the alchemist and I think because of just like the current climate in the world and people feeling discouraged and maybe hitting walls with some of the goals and, uh, visions they had for their lives. It's a really good time to read that book mm. because it's encouraging. It kind of gives you a different perspective 
um, on obstacles you might be facing. So mm. I would definitely recommend The Alchemist. Yeah, I listened to that on uh, on Audible as an audio book. Yeah, yeah really it's a good. short read and it's, it's, it's like a really powerful parable. I recommend it to anyone. Yeah, fantastic. And you mentioned travel. And mm -hmm. I think I first got in touch with you about doing this podcast after reading one of your articles, talking about the costs that are associated with being a top track athlete. Yeah. And in particular, it was really interesting to see how you uh, spend your money on travel, airfares, things like that, on mm -hmm. um, hotels and on food. Could you just give us a, a quick little recap of, of what you mentioned there? Yeah, so basically, I was explaining that, yes, we are professional athletes and we get to travel around the world. And meet directors do often pay for our travel, but meet directors are trying to run an event on a budget as well. And most of the time, they will, uh, the, the price they give you to attend their meet may cover an economy class ticket. And so you have to decide to spring for that business class ticket yourself, knowing that your body will recover better if you're able to lay down for eight hours. Uh, those kind of decisions you have to make. Another decision that I often had to make was uh, whether or not I wanted to share the room with the roommate, which is um, included when a meet director invites you to a meet, um, unless it's negotiated that you get your own room. So if you show up after a long travel day and um, you then have a roommate that you're not all that comfortable with, or you just don't do well sleeping in a room with a stranger, you have to decide to if you're going to spend money on making your own hotel room so that you can be comfortable. And it's really a matter of what are you willing to pay to put yourself in the best position to compete well? Because that's what it's about. So it becomes how much money are you going to invest above and beyond what's given to you in order to get the highest return, which in this case is a better performance. And I learned about myself over the past five or six years that I do much better uh, when I fly business class and when I do have my own room and don't have to you know, walk around, walk on eggshells, because I am quite considerate of the other person, sometimes at the detriment of my own needs. Mm -hmm. And um, sometimes the food that is provided for me isn't what I'm used to eating. And so you have to decide if you want to indulge in that because it's provided and it's free, or if you want to take the extra money, put extra money towards sticking to a meal plan on a time schedule that you're used to so that you can get to the competition feeling confident and ensure about your preparation. And that's really what it's about. And it ends up being costly. Mm. But ultimately it does help you become the best in the world. So it does. You know, yes. Good, good decisions. I've got a couple of follow up questions. Firstly, who was the worst roommate ever? Hmm. <laughs> Um, I had a roommate and I'm not going to say her name, oh. but I had a roommate and I put my credit card on the room and she helped herself to meals and laundry oh. and other, <laughs> yes, <What a> <laughs> yes. And so that was not lobster was... and steak, I hope. Uh, it, it was not cheap. <laughs> oh. We were in an expensive country. So yes, uh, that was that was my worst roommate experience. Um, 
I'm happy to say that I only have that one story after being on the circuit for 13 years. I think I'm doing pretty well. <laughs> and you, you, in your blog, you mentioned about being the first person to stand up when they say business class passengers can now board. And uh, a few weeks ago, I spoke to the former 400 meters runner, a, a world champion in, in relay himself, Derek Redmond. And he was saying a lot of the battle in athletics is won in the the like holding area before you even go out to the track. You can see Absolutely. how other people are kind of reacting and acting. I wonder, does it go almost as far back as that moment when you're in the airport? Is there? It does. Does it? It does because I remember when it was reversed for me and I was flying economy, but I was there were other athletes going to the same meet. And I remember how I felt seeing the other athletes who were flying business class and I was in economy thinking um, they were more successful than me or they had uh, more resources than I did to make sure that they were going to be at an advantage as soon as we got off the plane. I, I had already decided that I was at a disadvantage because I was in economy and they weren't. So I do, I do feel like it, it does start there, especially if you're, you end up traveling with a lot of other athletes. But the same is true for having roommates. I mean, your roommate, especially if you somehow get roomed with someone who's in your same event, um, you're watching each other and seeing how you prepare for the meet, and that can be uh, really uneasy. Mm-hmm. There's actually a great story on one of my previous podcasts of the uh, one of the Olympic cycling finals. Callum Skinner was facing, uh, I've forgotten who he was facing, but his, he was facing his roommate in the final and they were both winding each other up the night before saying, oh, I feel really strong. My legs feel really <laughs> great. And then the next morning, oh, I had a great night's sleep. I'm, uh, I'm ready. Well, that's a better way to do it for sure. <laughs> do you have any psychological pre-race routines that you go through um i definitely visualize my jumps repeatedly and i don't do it as much for the hundred which i believe that i should that's on my list of things to get better at this year (laughs) but i um maybe like three days before a competition i stop talking actually i become very quiet Yeah, it just it kind of just happens slowly. I'm less I become more introverted and um, I just start just everything that I'm doing is I'm reviewing everything about what I want to execute. And it just slowly over like three days out, I just start to become the tunnel vision. The tunnel just narrows over the over three days. And by the time I get to the meet, I probably would have like run through. This, the performance scenario um, at least a hundred times, if not more. Is this every race, every competition, every jump? Sorry, it's definitely the big competitions, nationals, global championships, uh, some diamond leagues, not all. Um, but yeah, uh, because I've been doing it so long, I can I've kind of categorized levels of meat, so it, I don't do that for every meat. But for the major ones, I do. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr.
There's more from Tiana in just a moment, but before we return to the conversation with her, I want to tell you about Patreon. Patreon is a crowdfunding platform. It's where you can help keep us afloat, basically. From as little as I think it's $5 a month, you can put some money towards our podcast so we can keep the lights on, so we can keep learning from the very best, from world and Olympic champions. And there's different tiers that you can show your support all the way up to fifty one hundred dollars and you get some benefits to it as well it's all explained at patreon.com forward slash best in the world we also give a little bit of extra information and a few bits of tidbits which you won't get anywhere else on all of the sportachino and best in the world platforms go and check it out patreon.com forward slash best in the world all right let's return to the conversation with tiana bartoletta the Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Again, having done my research on you, in, in your blog you mentioned that to get to college you needed to become good at one sport and you chose athletics over volleyball, over basketball. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. why did you choose the long jump? How did that come about? Oh, it's a great story. I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> Thank you. Um, in middle school was the first time that I had been introduced to track and field. I knew that it existed. I had seen it on TV in the Olympics, but it wasn't something that I had access to, to do myself. And so when the spring came around and it was time to go out for the track team, um, the coach introduced a sport to us because we all were new to it. And when she did so, she said, runners over here and field event athletes to the right and I did not want to run like at all so I went to the field event side because it was the opposite of the running side and then as she explained to us what the field events were I knew I wasn't going to be able to throw the shot put or anything like that and high jump freaks me out because I always think I'll break my neck (laughs) so I settled on the long jump because there was sand and uh, we just had a sand pit Um, that was adjacent to the parking lot there was no long there was no track there was no runway I didn't think I'd have to run it just I thought long jump was you get a little bit of a running start and then you get to jump into the sand and and that was that so that's how I chose the long jump Mm, that's amazing and then obviously become an Olympic champion um (laughs) obviously there's a bit of a leap there um not metaphorically I mean um so when did you start to realize that actually I'm quite good at this and actually I could go to a very high level a world champion and Olympic champion was there a moment um I wouldn't say there was a moment it's still an ongoing thing believe it or not Uh, but when I was jumping in middle school and high school I was I was jumping pretty close to the same distances that the guys my age were jumping and so I knew that I was a good jumper at that point just based on the fact that I was not getting completely destroyed by the boys Uh, sprinting was different I was still I, I I lost a lot so I didn't think that I was like anything spectacular and even when I won my state championship I didn't win with you know a fantastic time but I I did win so I never really considered myself 
a superb sprinter, but I did know that like my long jump was um, better than average. Mm. Part of the reason you explained that you wanted to get into college was to leave Ohio. Why did you want to leave your home state? I wanted to leave because I had I felt like it started to feel suffocating in a way. I was from a small town. We had one high school. Everybody knew everybody else. Half of those people were related to me. And I really just, something in me had always just wanted to be more, see more, and do more. And I felt like college would be the first opportunity to do that. Um, I made a junior team that went to Barbados uh, my sophomore year. And so that kind of set off this insatiable desire to travel and see other cultures and really get out there and experience the world. But I also didn't have the easiest time in high school. Um, so it was just, I wanted to just get away. And I felt like college would be a fresh start for me in a lot of ways. Hmm. I think it ends up being a fresh start for a lot of people. I know I yeah. certainly felt felt the same when I went to university. Um, so what's been the favorite place that you've ever traveled to then? Mm, man... Okay, for for track and field. Uh, what? No, just for for anything. Just the, really, the, the place you've okay. enjoyed the most. Oh, that's so difficult because I really try <laughs> to like enjoy something everywhere I go. But my favorite places, I think, so far, um, I love Morocco. It's it's oh. a really beautiful country. Uh, the desert is beautiful in its own way, and then it also has beautiful coastline, um, great food. I went to Costa Rica recently and absolutely loved being there mm. and loved the laid back atmosphere. Uh, as far as Europe goes, I, I love Stockholm. I like the way Stockholm feels and, and this will seem completely random, but I really love Seattle. Seattle? <laughs> For the coffee? For the rain? No, I love it because it is so green and I am an outdoorsy person in, mm. in real life. I hike. I love to camp. Um, so it is the perfect blend of like big city and outdoor life. Oh, fantastic. Well, I haven't been to Morocco or Costa Rica or Seattle, so I need to go to all three of those. <laughs> yes, yes. Put those on your list. <laughs> they will definitely go on my list. I've been to Stockholm, though, but a long time ago. So what about then when it comes to athletics and sports? What are some of the, the places you've in, enjoyed going to the most as, as far as maybe the track or the experience or even the result? I really like competing in hot places. Mm. Um, so then again, Morocco gets put back on the list. Uh, I enjoyed competing in Doha, Qatar. Oh, I lived there for six years. So. I really enjoyed it there. I, I'm sad that I don't get I'm not there long enough to actually explore the city. But I I have a great time when I am there. The energy in the stadium is electric. It's it's a fun place to go. Yeah, a lot, there's a lot of Kenyans and Ethiopians there and they, they make yes, a lot of noise. They, they, they really do. get into it. And Japan, and Japan is probably maybe Japan is tops that list. Mm. I love that country. And competing there and out of all of your accolades and medals that you've won what one are you the most proud of probably my bronze medal from this past world championships in london 
Most, um, pe- most people would expect that to be one of your gold medals. Why, why that medal? Because that medal I won under what I would say was extreme duress. Oh. <laughs> and um, so the, the previous May, I, um, I had left home because I was in a very abusive marriage. And nobody knew that I had left and I had to keep it under wraps in order to stay safe and kind of stay one step ahead of the whole situation. And by the time I got to London in August, I was emotionally drained and physically exhausted and just kind of really wanted to curl into a ball and go to sleep. But needed to keep it together because I was the defending world champion. But at the same time, I had all of this stuff going on in the background and I could just feel the strength leaving my body every every day that I was basically on the run. So to get to that final and to still make the podium despite, you know, having struggles with my approach and on the runway and just being an emotional wreck basically to still come out as one of the best jumpers in the world. I was very proud of myself and it goes back to the mantra I told you about at the beginning that the most important victory is the one that you have over yourself. And in that moment, I shut down a lot of the voices that I not only um, was telling myself, but that I had been told in that relationship over the past five years. I had overcome all of that to get back on that podium. And that's why it is the most special medal to me so far. That's incredible. And congratulations. And, uh, well done for getting through all of that and and you know winning that medal. It's a, it's amazing. Thank you. I mentioned earlier that before a big race for about three days you stop speaking and stop talking about things. And mm-hmm. you mentioned the the difficulty that you went through in, into those world championships. Have you found it easier now? Is it better for you when you can talk about it, like you just did to me? It is actually really uncomfortable for me. To oh, talk about. sorry, I asked. <laughs> uh, no, it's a, it's a great question. It's really uncomfortable, um, but it is something that I absolutely have to do. I am aware that I, this this experience is not unique to me. Is not unique to women, or it's it happens to so many people, and I feel as if my pain and experience can be validated. Only if I talk about it and can help someone else, you know, pull someone else out of that dark place, too. Mm. So every time I blog or share something, it's not because I love oversharing. It's because not only am I trying to heal myself, but I'm trying to help someone else heal. Mm. And that's why I do it. But no, it's not something that is always comfortable for me. But it is something that I force myself to do. And I think being an elite athlete kind of helped prepare me for that. Because every day we, we, you know, we do painful things. Like training hurts really, really bad. But we know that if we push through it, there's a greater reward at the end. And that's kind of how I feel about my journey when I'm sharing on social media or writing a blog or, or doing interviews in which I am honest to the point where I'm just like I've put it all out there on the table and I'm vulnerable I I feel like I need to do that because every time that I've done that I've received so many letters emails and messages from other people saying thank you 
and telling me their stories. And because I've gone through that and because I shared it, I'm able to shine a light or give them some encouragement too. And that makes it worth it. Yeah, I think so, definitely. And, uh, you know, I think you you far from overshare on your blog. I think you're, <laughs> like I said, you're very true. You're very honest. And I think Thank you. everyone who reads that will appreciate it if they haven't read it already. Um, we've spoken about your career in athletics. Um, but, of course, you've been a winter sports star as well. How on earth yeah. did that happen? <laughs> you you uh, took that, up bobsledding. Yeah, that happened because I needed a break from track and field after the 2012 Olympics. I had, had It was a really hard team for me to make in a very hard season on my body and mentally. And I just needed a break, but I didn't want to just, you know, sit and do nothing. And so... It was suggested to me that because of the way I start out of the blocks and it would be um, the skills were transferable, perhaps, to become a break woman on the bobsled team. And so I went to Lake Placid and um, did their combine and tried out for the team and made the team and was able to slide with them for, for most of the season. And that was it was a really good experience, but it was very difficult. Uh, racing was fun, but like the day-to-day, I had no idea what those women do to get their sleds ready to go or to get them to and from the track, but I will never forget it. And I, I made a lifelong friend from that situation too, so it was well worth the time. Mm, I guess that's the most important thing out of everything, the people that come into our lives and are important in our lives. Um, yeah. What were those particular differences from athletics and bobsledding? What, what, what were the different things that you were doing? And, and in fact, was there anything during that time that you were then able to take back when you went back to athletics and long jump and sprinting at all? Any other part Absolutely. of training routine? Absolutely. They actually train quite similarly to sprinters because – the, the start is all about explosiveness from a set position. So there's a lot of synergy between sprinting and bobsled. In fact, a lot of the, the break women competing soon at the Winter Olympics are track athletes or have been track athletes. Um, so the weightlifting and the sprinting and all that was, was pretty much the same. I think the only difference was they wanted me to be heavier and I didn't want to gain weight because I as you get older, it's really hard to start, lose that weight. So I didn't want to put myself. <laughs> we all go put, through that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't want to put myself in that position and be behind when I did return to track season. So that was kind of the one issue that, that we had. Mm. Um, as far as what I took from bobsled back to athletics, bobsled taught me that I could long jump again because I had actually, before that moment, quit long jumping completely. Mm. I had... Um, had a freak accident in 2007 and had to have knee surgery and from that moment had been afraid to jump and when I would jump I was barely jumping six meters and it became embarrassing and I hated that I was introduced as a former world champion and people would cheer and then I'd get out there and not make a final or or jump almost three feet less than I had been when I was a teenager and so I just stopped jumping uh, when I went to bobsled, as we were reviewing the footage of me launching myself into the back of this sled, I noticed that that was the same step. I was doing the same takeoff step to get into the bobsled, 
that I thought I could no longer do because I had gotten injured in the long jump. And so seeing myself do that repeatedly over and over really gave me the confidence to try to return to the long jump one more time. Mm. So in 2014, I returned to the long jump and I think was ranked number one in the world that year and jumped seven meters that year. And the rest is history. Like I, Bob, bobsled is the reason that I returned to the long jump. Oh, amazing. Then another world championship gold and an Olympic championship yes. gold. Um, I want to quickly talk about the 2016 Olympics, but first, just the, the 2012 Olympics. Obviously, mm-hmm. you did have that amazing success in the 4 by 100 metres, and, and I mentioned earlier about your amazing first leg. The women's 100 metres final, you came fourth. Um, yeah. What was that like for you? I was maybe disappointed for 0.3 seconds. Uh, I was in lane nine, I believe. And so I really did not know what was going on in the rest of the race. I was out there by myself. And so I just executed my race plan. And the goal was um, I was just going to run and see what happens. I was trying to, my coach told me that there has never been an Olympic final where if you ran 10-8, you did not come home with the medal. So my goal was to run 10-8. Like, I had been meditating on it all week. I need to run 10-8. That was my goal. So I saw that I got fourth place first. And fourth is just so close. It's almost painful to, mm. to be fourth. But then my time came up. And my time came up as 10-85. And when that came up, I was elated because I knew that it was the power of my mind that allowed me that that helped me have that result. And I felt like I had just like discovered the secret to the universe. You know, I was like <laughs> extremely happy about this. And yes, I got fourth, but I hadn't been I hadn't been focused on winning a medal all week, right? I had been focused on running 10-8. That's what I wanted and that's what I got. And I think you can't be dissatisfied with that. I remember joking that, like, oh, maybe I should have specified that I wanted to run 10-8 and win a medal. But I was really proud of myself for being for executing under that kind of pressure, even though I did not get a medal. You won that battle with yourself. Exactly. And then four years later, as, as you said, you back doing long jump and... Uh, you were the world champion going into those Olympic Games. You were facing the reigning Olympic champion in Brittany Reese as well. Um, mm-hmm. Also the reigning relay champion. Did you? How did you measure the priorities of those Olympic Games? Oh, they were the most important. Uh, I mean, that was... Because you never know when you're going to get another one either, right? Mm-hmm. So every Olympic Games is like... That is the meat of the lifetime unless you're you know fortunate to do it again but you can't assume that that will happen so that I felt like that was that was the Olympics that I needed to win if I was going to win it it had to be there and it had to be then and I really was ready I had done everything in my power to be ready for that meet and so it it went exactly how I thought it would go yeah, well, even what, from the first jump. What what did you do to be ready in say comparison to other meets that you've done? So I I identified my the problem that I was having and a lot of my problem is that 
because I know we only get three jumps, I get tense or anxious about the approach and maybe cautious. I knew that I couldn't be cautious at this meet with Brittany Reese and Ivana and, and other people um, more consistent than I am because they are full-time jumpers, whereas I jump once a week in training and that's it. And I'm a sprinter the rest of the time. Oh, they must hate and- you. <laughs> I work all week. She does it one day a week and still gets the gold. Well, well, that's a, that's what I'm saying. That's the thing that I changed. And so instead of just sticking with that, I made sure that I added approaches. Actually, I tacked approaches onto the end of my sprint warm up so that I did them every single day. And I developed this kind of fearlessness and this consistency about my approach. And so I knew that when I got on the runway, I didn't have to have that kind of timid first jump to see where I was going to be. I just knew that I could just blast it and it would be there. And if it wasn't, I can make the adjustment and blast it again and it would be there that time because it's not it was not a time to be cautious. It was uh, the right result in the end for you. Um, uh, t- two two last questions, if you don't mind. Um, you mentioned meditation there. How often do you meditate and, and how, how long for? Um, I try to do it every day, uh, 15 to 30 minutes. I'm at 15 minutes right now because um, I just have a lot going on. And even though I should, I should try to sit for longer, I'm just not there right now. So 15 minutes in the morning. Uh, I also do yoga in the morning to wake my body up, and I do yoga in the evening to unwind. So I tack uh, meditation on to yoga in the morning. Oh, superb. And the the final question I really want to ask you is a bit of your process. Now, obviously, we know you like to write. We've spoken quite a lot about your blog and everything like that. And when I first tried to get to do this interview with you i i have a little link which i ask people just to fill in the form so it goes on like a calendar and you said i use a uh, a written calendar i have my own kind of book calendar is that something you've always done and and how much does that kind of help your life oh it totally helps me and it's um something i've done since i would say middle school Um, because it's how I remained organized in order to be a good student, which was very important to me. I loved school, and it kind of kept me, um, it kept me organized enough where I could maintain my straight A's and be a good athlete, and it's something that I just carried through life, and so, like, it's so important that when I misplace the planner, I kind of, like, freeze because I don't know what to do next (laughs) so that's how much i depend on having a planner fantastic straight a student olympic champion world champion and all rounds great person tiana it's been amazing to speak to you uh before we can before we go um can you let us know where we can continue to follow your journey on your blog any social media and also I, i believe you you've got a few uh projects going on uh as well why you're not a track star i know you've been doing it in club 360 maybe just tell us a little bit about one or both of those please i'll tell you about why you're not a track star club 360 is currently undergoing a transformation but we can talk about that next time nice why you're not a track star it's just a short little ebook uh for anybody really athlete or not but it explains five reasons why you're probably not where you want to be And those five reasons I basically gleaned from 
my seven years of being a lackluster athlete, everything that I was doing wrong. And so I, I wrote them in a way that people could understand. It's a little bit humorous because I'm, I'm basically talking about myself and how, and how um, I held myself back in the hopes that you can avoid doing at least those five things wrong. We all make mistakes, but maybe you can make, not make the ones I made and save yourself seven years of downtime. Yes, very often about learning from failure to get success, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Yes. Tiana, thank you so much for this time. It's been amazing to talk to you. Really appreciate it. And thank you for being the best in the world. Thank you for having me. It's been my pleasure. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Well, we've actually now completed the set with Tiana because we've already spoken to the men's long jump champion from the Rio Olympics. That's Jeff Henderson. He has been on the podcast before. We've also spoken to one of Tiana's former relay teammates, Tori Bowie, who is the reigning women's 100 meters world champion. She was episode 100 on the best in the world with Richard Parr. And if you're into your relays, you might want to go back all the way to episode 12 when I spoke to the former relay champion Darren Campbell. Go and check that out. It's all available for you at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Acast and wherever else you get your podcasts, whatever app you use, we should be there. And if we're not, please drop me a line on Twitter at Richard underscore part and tell me. And of course, all of the back catalogue is available at Sportachino, sportachino.com. If you do get a moment to give us a rating and a review on iTunes or on Stitcher, that would be wonderfully appreciated. And don't forget to press that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. I don't want you to miss one second of juicy goodness, of juicy learning that we can learn from the greatest sports stars on the planet. We come out every single Thursday, so I'll be back with you next week. Until then, take care. Goodbye. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Botox Cosmetic, Autobotulinum Toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.